0: Excuse me if you're visiting with us. Um, my name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. A couple of weeks ago we started a new series here at Hillside where we're looking at the, uh, the first chapters of the entire Bible. The first chapters of the, of the book of Genesis and, and during this first part of the series we're really just looking at chapters 1 and 2. Uh, we'll get to some of the later ones uh, further on as we go through, but just chapters one and two, the story of beginnings, of, uh, of how things started and, and so on, and, and we're taking a look at this kind of really in depth, and, and one of the things we said, I think that's important for us to remember, is that the goal of Genesis one and two, we said, is, is not to tell us how God did everything, okay? It's not giving us a step-by-step of, of the steps that God used in, in creating. That's not its purpose, and we said it, it's not telling us the, the literal structure of the universe, I mean, the picture that it paints for us is one that's not kind of the literal structure of the way things are. We said that's not what Genesis 1 and and, and 2 are doing. But but we did say what they're telling us is, is who God is, what the world is like and who we are, all right? Those are the three things that we kind of said. This is at the heart of what Genesis 1 and 2 want to teach us, and, and so last week we looked at who God is, and, and we saw that the Bible says, Genesis 1 makes clear that God is great, right? There's no other competitors. There are no other gods. Uh, there's nothing that threatens him. He is, he is great. He is powerful. His word is powerful, and we said God is good, that he creates out of love, he creates to bless, and as he creates, he puts things in their place. He, he gives things a place and a purpose. So we said God is great, and God is good. O- over the last two weeks, we've talked about the world, and we said that the Bible says that the material world God created is good, that God, God created this stuff, and it, and it was good, and, and, and the material world isn't bad, but it's, it's good, and we can enjoy it, and we can celebrate it. It's not God. We don't worship it, but, but we respect it, and we honor it. This morning and in the next uh, few weeks, the next two weeks, we're going to look at, well, what does the Bible say about who we are? What does Genesis 1 say about who we are? And and, and what is a human being? And so that's really the question we're going to be thinking about this morning and and then kind of lead into the next two weeks as well. And before we get into answering it, I just want to start by saying this is a really, really important question. Okay, Our understanding of what it means to be human, of, of who we are, has a huge impact on how we treat other people, how we look at ourselves, how we live our lives. And, and let me just give you some examples of that. We'll start with, with the, we said that, that, that Egypt is kind of the context for Genesis because the people had just come out of Egypt. And, and, and so what do we, what's the Egyptian view of people? And we touched on this a little bit, but we said, you know, in the Egyptian world, people were created to wait on the gods. The gods were there, and they, they got sick of working, and so uh, work was bad, and they didn't want to do it, so they created human beings. And so what human beings were all about is, is simply trying to say, well, we're, we're here to just serve the gods. We're not important. They're important. And life was pretty miserable, and, and, and it would fit into who they were, right? I mean, that's all we are. We're just nobodies. We're nothings. And, and then we pushed a little further and recognized that even though the Egyptians saw themselves as not that important, but they said that only Egyptians were human, right? The Egyptian word for human is Egyptian. And everybody else was less than that. Everybody else was something other than human. And, 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 and again, if you have that idea, it, it opens up the door for slavery and abusing everyone else because they're not human, Right? When you look at cultures where some people enslave another people, almost always what happens is is there's some some just some ideas that float that kind of say, Well, these other people, they're they're not really human, okay? They're not really like us. They're they're different and and, and they're, you know, something other than what we are. That was the Egyptian view. And it made a huge difference. The Greeks. They said that the soul is good and the body is bad, okay? Socrates and so on. Socrates says, you know what, you are is really a soul and your body is just kind of trapped it. And and so what that means is that work and stuff was bad. And and so for Socrates, it was no good to do physical labor. It was the life of the mind that mattered. It was thinking, it was doing those sorts of things. Now interestingly, in, in cultures that kind of say the body is bad and the soul is good and we're just kind of trapped in this, they tend to go one of two ways. Some of the people say, well, therefore, I just have to fight against my body all the time and all these urges. The other option is to say, it doesn't matter if I give in to them, and I just do whatever I want, because it's just my body. It's not my soul. It's not me who's doing these things. It's just my body, and my body needs these things, and so I just let it go. And so, again, how we look at ourselves, am I, am I a body, am I a soul, am I both, how, who are we, it makes a huge difference. Look at this, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Oliver Wendell Holmes, let's bring it more towards today. Oliver Wendell Holmes, a member of the Supreme Court of the United States, once said this, and this explains a lot of things. He said, I believe that there are no innate, intrinsic differences among a human being, a bamboo, or a grain of sand. Brilliant guy. And and if you look at it without God in the picture, I suppose you can make this case. No intrinsic difference among a human being, a baboon, or a grain of sand. We're all just material. If, if there is no God, then that's the case, right? I mean, we're all just, there's no reason to respect a human more than a grain of sand. There's no more value because there's no value in anybody. There's no value in, you're just something. You're just stuff and you're here for a while and, and, and you're no different than a grain of sand. You're no different than a baboon. You're of no more value and those things aren't of much value. And when you look at some issues that our culture faces. Some of it is because of this view of being human. Saying there's nothing special about it. There's nothing powerful about it. Commercials are a popular way to look at, at how we view human beings. This is an old one, but some of you will recognize it. You only go around once in this life, so you have to grab all the gusto you can. Remember what it was? Schlitz beer, Right, Schlitz beer. You only go around once. you got to grab. This is the, the old folks' version of YOLO right? You only live once. But what it has a view, right? What does it mean to be human? Human is somebody who shows up for a time and then leaves after a time, and in that meantime, you might as well just grab as much gusto as you can. YOLO, so go ahead and do it. YOLO buckets, you only get, you know, so just have fun, do whatever you can, grab onto it, grab all the gusto you can. Why? Because a human being is just there with no ultimate purpose. Our view, do you under, I mean, I, I, you can go Axe body spray, right? The cleaner you get, the dirtier you get. I mean, go through every commercial. Every commercial behind it has a view of humanity. And ask yourself, what's their, their, what are they saying about what a person is? Again, Axe Body Spray. The cleaner you get, the dirtier you get. What are you? You are a pleasure seeker. That's what you are. And if you get good and clean, then you can get good and dirty. And that's fun, right? I mean, every commercial, every TV show has a view of what it means to be human. And it makes a huge difference. So that's why it's, it's really important for us to think about this. What is a human being? And, and when we turn to the Bible, what, what it tells us is one basic fact that kind of f- everything else flows out of it, and, and it's this. Human beings are created in the image of God. Everything is created by God, but only human beings are created in the image of God. Genesis 1:26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them in his image. I, I, again, everything is, is, is created by God, but, but somehow... As human beings, the Bible makes clear that that God did something in creating us. that, That we, in a way that no other creature can, in a way that no other part of creation can, that we reflect God, that we represent God, that we have the presence of God in us and with us in a way that is absolutely unique. You are created in the image of God. And I am convinced, I really am, if we can get this straight... If we can get this straight, if we can understand what it means for us to be created in God's image, it is going to make a huge difference in our lives. If we can start to activate this truth in our lives and, and kind of live out what it means. And, and so what I want to do for this week and then really it'll be the next couple of weeks that we'll think about is what does it mean? What are the implications of being created in the image of God? What, what, what difference does it make? And I say, no, Oliver Wendell Holmes, that's not true because human beings are created In the image of God. From a naturalist standpoint, yeah, there's no difference. But God says, no, I have created you in my image. Two things I want to talk about this morning, and then Daniel will pick up one next week, and then we'll have another one the week after that. But the first implication of this, and and, and again, I I, I hope you can grab this, but every person has great value. Every person is created in the image of God and has unbelievable, amazing value. Value. I want to start talking about you, okay? Start you thinking about yourself. And I just want to say, you have great value. No matter what you have done, no matter how low you have gone, no matter what you have failed at, no matter what anybody else has told you, you need to understand that you are created in God's image and you are not a piece of junk and you are not a nothing and you are not a nobody, but you are precious and amazing and lovely and wonderful yet we're all fallen I, i i know that but but i think you need to understand what it means that you are created in god's image i love what tim keller says about that he says there is a rock solid objective irreducible glory and significance about every human being Think about it. There is a rock-solid, objective, irreducible glory and significance about every human being. There is, you are glorious. You are glorious. You are created in God's image, and you reflect that image, and you bring that image with you wherever you go. And I don't care what anybody else tells you. And I think that's where we need to start. That's where we need to begin and and understand who we are, that we are created in God's image. Now, sin enters the world, and and that image is broken. We don't reflect God perfectly anymore. We are not full of that image in the same way anymore. But the Bible makes clear that it is still there after sin enters the world. Genesis 9, verse 6 says this, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God, as God made mankind. This is after sin, right? And, and what God says here is, you don't kill anybody. You don't kill anybody because, because the image of God is still active in that person. They are created in my image, and you do not take a life. And so the image is still there after sin enters the world, all right? You still bear that image. And what I want to just stop here and, and, and think about with you just for a couple of moments now is that there's an amazing freedom here think about this. There is an amazing freedom here. If I understand that I'm created in God's image, if I understand that God created me in a unique and wonderful power, that there is in a rock-solid, objective, irreducible glory and significance about me, if I can understand that, if I can live that out, then I don't need to get my self-esteem from anything else. I don't need to get my self-esteem from my looks or my power or my prestige. I don't need to get my self-esteem from having a trophy wife, though I do. I don't need to get my self-esteem from having brilliant kids, though I have them. I mean, right, but you see the difference? So many of us are spending our lives trying to blow ourselves up, right? We're trying to be just somebody. We're trying to say, notice me. We're trying to say, I'm somebody. I'm important. I am valuable. And I want to say, you had me at the beginning because you are created in God's image. And if I can be, you you don't understand, Jesus calls us to be servants, right? He calls us to give. I am convinced the only way I can learn to give myself away is if I understand that I'm created in the image of God. Because if I don't understand that, if I'm nobody else, then I have to get some ego. I've got to get some self-esteem. I've got to prove my value. And that puts me in competition than you. I need to be more important than you. I, I need to be better than you are. But if I get my self-esteem, if I get my my self-image from being created in the image of God, if I understand the value that comes because of that, then I don't have to be better than you. I can wash your feet. I can serve you. I can give myself away to you. Created in the image of God, that's a gift, friends. I didn't earn it. It's just there. And if I can understand that, I don't have to play the games and all week I've been praying this and this is one of the things I want to ask all of you to pray for. I've been thinking about the middle school students here and into the high school students. You remember what it was like to be in middle school? Oh. It's tough. It is really tough to be in 6th grade. But you're trying to figure out who are you? Who who are you? Am I important? Am I somebody who matters? Do I fit in this group? Do I fit in that group? How, how am I somebody important? And there is so much of a need to try to find an identity. And if we could teach every middle schooler in this church and every high school in the church that they are created in God's image, that they are of unbelievable value, if we could get them to understand that, do you know how much freedom they would have to just be whoever God created them to be? Instead of trying to be whoever our culture says they need to be, and that instead of trying to be Miley Cyrus, I actually want to be Hannah Montana, not the evil Miley Cyrus. But, right, I mean, instead of that pressure to say, I have to wear these clothes, I have to have these shoes, I have to have this purse, I have to have this sports, I have to win the game, I have to think of it, if we understand that we are created in the image of God, I don't have to do those things. I'm free if, I, if, if I've got gifts. I can enjoy it, I can celebrate it. But I don't need it. Think of if we could actually teach the young people at this church that they are created in God's image. I just, I just pray, and I, all week I've just been saying, God, help those young kids to know. You know, it's so interesting. I look at littler kids. I don't know when it stops. But, I mean, again, I, Noah is three, my grandson. He knows he's the center of the universe. But at some point... We realize we're not, and then we start to say, I'm nobody. And so as your kids go through those years, remind them, not that they're perfect, not that they're God, but they're created in the image of God, and they are of great value. So you have great value, okay? That's the, that's the first part of, of knowing that every person has great value. The second thing we need to recognize about this is that everyone you meet has great value. This has a huge implication of how we treat others. Again, everyone you meet has great value. Cultures that have a view of humanity that says we're just, you know, uh, just all we are is overgrown apes or or whatever, or the Oliver Wendell Holmes, that there's no intrinsic difference. Well, guess what? Then Then we can abuse others. But if every human being bears the image of God, every human being, even in their fallen state, bears the image of God. We need to recognize that we are walking around with amazing people. Do you realize that the person sitting next to you was created in the image of God? Now, for some of us, it's a little more broke than others, a little harder to see than others. But the person sitting next to you, honestly, even if you're married to them, is created in the image of God. Look at what C.S. Lewis said in his wonderful sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And he doesn't mean that we're all going to become God, okay? He's, he's orthodox on that. But, but people who created in the image of God... To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. In other words, right now, we don't see all of that glory of God. But every person you meet, I think if we could see what God will one day make us to become, when we see what we were created, the image of God fully alive in us, Lewis says we would be tempted to just fall down and worship. You have never talked, he goes on to say, to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You have never met a mere mortal. Every person you meet is created in God's image. Genesis 9, verse 6, we saw, says, that's why you can't kill. So I don't kill, because that person is created in God's image. James 3, verses 9 and 10 in the New Testament, James writes this. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness, in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be, okay? So what is James saying? James is saying that every person you meet is created in the image of God, so you can't trash them. You cannot trash another human being. You use your mouth to praise God if you are trashing another human being. It's just wrong. Every person you meet is created in God's image. Every person has great value. Again, that image is broken in all of us. But what we are called to do is we are called to learn to see the image of God in others. And that see that that is the core of their identity. Uh, again, let's just stop here and and, and grab onto this a little bit. If I can learn to do this, it's hard for us to do this. What we tend to do is we tend to see other things first. For example, what we tend to do is to say, oh, that person's an African-American or a Caucasian or an Asian or a Hispanic. We see those sorts of things. You know what? What we need to see is fundamentally they are first created in God's image. And those other characteristics are just secondary kind of characteristics. I want to suggest we learn to do that with sexual orientation as well. All right? A person is not first and foremost a homosexual or a heterosexual, okay? A person is, that is not their first point of identity. Fundamentally, that person is created in God's image. Now, I'm not saying the other stuff doesn't matter. But when I'm dealing with somebody who has that, who's a homosexual or whatever, I need to recognize that I am, first of all, dealing with somebody who's created in the image of God, and that image of God is still there. Now, I'm going to challenge you on some things just like I need to be challenged on some things but I challenge them as somebody who has got that rock-solid, objective, irreducible, glory and significance, right? Rock-solid, objective, irreducible, that person I'm dealing with. I was with a group this week that talks about dealing with people who have committed sexual offenses, sexual offenders, and one of the persons who had been guilty of this talked about saying, you know, I get str- I struggle some with, with feeling like what I have become is I am now a sex offender, not a person who committed a sexual offense. See the difference? I am a sex offender in some people's eyes, and what I am in God's eyes is a person who did something terribly wrong. Now, again, we still hold people accountable, and we still recognize that. But think of the difference if we recognize that this person's fundamental identity, and he's an awesome guy, his fundamental identity, he's created in the image of God. He is created in the image of God. And these other things are somewhere down the line, all right? Think about it. It's really powerful if we start to do this. Imagine what it would be like in in, in politics if every politician could say, I disagree with you, but the way I'm going to talk about it is recognizing that you're created in God's image. Somebody is not first a Republican or a Democrat or a Tea Party. Somebody is first created in God's image. Barack Obama is created in God's image. And James 3.9 applies. And so is Rush Limbaugh. And James 3.9 applies. Every person is created in God's image. And that determines a large part of how we treat them. Okay? We've got to try to work to recognize that. Again, for sometimes, it's harder to get there. But every person you meet... It's created in God's image. So, first point, every, every person has great value. We are created in God's image. It means every human being has great value. Second thing I want to suggest, and, and, and we'll finish with this, every person has great purpose. Every person has great purpose purpose we've talked about this before how if in in our world in a naturalistic worldview in a naturalistic worldview there is no ultimate purpose right there is no ultimate goal there is no there's no God there's no goal and so on and so but but because God created us in his image we have a purpose and I want to talk about two of them okay two things that are true for all of us first of all we are created by God to reflect and represent God Now, everything, again, has been created by God, but we've been created by God to reflect and represent God in a unique and and, and powerful way. Let me tell you kind of how this comes out in the text, in Genesis 1. Um, in, In that day, say the pharaoh was conquering, a pharaoh or a ruler or a king or somebody conquered a new territory. One of the things that that pharaoh might do is set up an image. Of himself, okay, and, and, and what was important about that image was not so much that it looked just like the pharaoh, or it looked just like the king, what was important was that that image represented the pharaoh, that image represented the king, in a sense that image carried the essence of that of, of that king, all right, that, that image carried that with it, an image represented the king's presence and his essence or its style, so while the king was, or the pharaoh was over here in Egypt, his image here was kind of saying, but, but this is now my representation here, This is the the image that's going to carry that out. And, And those who governed, governed in the name of the image, as it were. They kind of, in some ways, those who governed imaged the king, okay? That's what they did. They imaged the king. And so when God says we are created in his image, we're created to represent him. We're created to bring his presence in there. And and in those days, a a, a governor was expected to represent the the, the pharaoh, the king, whoever it was, in line with that person's character. So if that pharaoh was nice, the governor was expected to be nice. If the pharaoh was a tyrant, the governor was expected to be a tyrant. He was to be the presence, the essence, the way of that that pharaoh, of that ruler in that place. And, And what we are created to do, we are created to bring God's presence and essence His glory into this world in a way that no other creature can. You are called to to rule in that way. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Okay? Why are we created in God's image? So that we may rule. Well, what does it mean to rule? We've got to be careful about this because it's not to dominate or control. We sometimes fall into that. In our world, if you rule, you get to control somebody else, right? That's not what this word means. It means to nurture and to help flourish. Again, remember, God created out of love to bless others. And so when we are God's presence in this world, we're here to bless others. We are here to nurture others. We are here to bring God's presence into this world. One of the images that sometimes gets used for this is a mirror, all right? A mirror. What does a mirror do? It reflects, right? I I mean, you can do this. I can take this light. Let's see where, there it is, and I won't try to shine it in anybody's eyes, right? But, but you can kind of, you know, I don't know. I, there it is. Maybe you can see it there. I'll see if I can get one over here. Anyway, you know how mirrors work, right? You can, you can, with a mirror, you can start a fire. If you're outside with the sun, right? The sun will come. You can do it on tinder, or whatever. You can start a fire with a mirror. Created in God's image means that we are God's mirrors. We are God's mirrors, and we're called to bring his presence. What we do is we face God in a way that no other creature can. That's one of the reasons worship is important. But we face God, and then we take his glory and his significance, and we bring it into the world. We're created to bring God's presence and his essence. And and, and that's why, in some ways, what I want to say is is that I think God is much less worried about what kind of work you do than who you are wherever you are. We kind of get caught up in saying, well, what kind of job does God want me to have? And there's some value to that. We can talk about that. But, But I think much more importantly, God said, just be a mirror. Wherever you go, bring my presence, shine my light into the darkness. And each and every one of you are called to do that wherever you go. That is your purpose. You're created in God's image so that you can bring his glory. And it's especially powerful in a broken world, all right? It is especially powerful in a broken world that you and I have the calling, the opportunity to look into the face of Jesus. And this is why we get hungry to know Jesus more, but to look into the face of Jesus and then to reflect his glory to that cashier in the checkout line who's having such a rotten day, to every person at the Secretary of State's office. Now, there is a challenge. But imagine if you saw, you I'm a mirror to every student in your school. I'm a mirror of God's presence. I'm created in His image. I'm here to represent Him. I'm here to reflect Him. I'm here to bring His grace and to shine His grace into all the dark spots of this world. Prayer partners, spirit lifters, mentors, Bringing God's presence into this world. Looking into Jesus' face and then letting his glory. That's what you're called to do. Sorry. You're called to be a mirror. That's your purpose. To reflect God to the world around us. All right, so we're created, first of all, to reflect and represent God. And then the next thing, we're created to fill and subdue. We're created to fill and subdue, all right? Genesis 128, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, okay? Fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground and on it goes. There are verses before and after, but it really comes down to, you know, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, I got to just real quickly say this, I don't want to get into it a long time, but some of you are old enough like me to remember, but I think we need to recognize being fruitful and filling is not simply having lots of kids, um, for a long time, this, this text was preached by pastors like me saying, you see, God said, go out and have 18 kids. Um, You've got to have as many kids as you can. You've got to fill the earth. There are other ways to fill the earth, friends. Some of you have done... More than your part, um, but no, you, you know, right? I mean, I, I, the reason I say, is, again, some of us were raised kind of saying, well, there's a, there's a, this is a, a command, an obligation. It would be wrong to choose not to. No, that's not the only way we fill, okay? I'm not gonna get into it, but this is, I don't think it's right to read this as a command, okay? We fill the earth with all sorts of other things, okay? We subdue it with other things. Genesis 2.15 is kind of the Genesis, t- the, the second chapter version of this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God gave us something to do, okay? So we're created to fill and subdue. What, what, what is filling and subduing? What, what are we thinking about there? What I want to suggest is that filling and subduing is what God has been doing in creating everything. That what happens in, this, in Genesis 1 is, is God is, first of all, creating spaces and kind of creating stuff. That's something you and I can't do. We cannot create out of nothing. God is the ultimate creator, but we are called to be sub-creators. Because what God does is he creates his stuff and then we talked about it last week. He puts things in their place. On day two, he creates the skies and the seas and then he puts the stars and the fish and he fills it and he puts them in their places. And then on on day three, he does the land and and on day five, um, uh, or day six rather, he does all the animals on the land. God is filling it. He's subduing it. He's putting everything in its place. He's separating. He's moving it around. God is filling and subduing it. And, and, And what he says to us now it's our turn. See, I think one of the things we need to understand from Genesis 1, and I think Genesis 2, both of them have the same idea. God didn't create a finished product. Now, Be careful about how you understand me saying that. I'm not saying that God was imperfect. No, it was good. God did everything right. But God's intention was not to create a finished product. God's intention was not to say, now I've created it, you're just playing it. No, God created it, and then said, now it's your turn. I did this much of it. Now you take it the next step. Fill it. Subdue it. One of the reasons, you know, I mean, so God says, you know, you do some more. We're all sub-creators. One of the reasons I wanted to read that Genesis 2 passage is that, is that if, you, if you read Genesis 2, and we'll get more in a couple of weeks, God creates a garden, and put Adam and Eve there, and he says, work it. And, and, and really the picture is, is, the Garden of Eden in, in Genesis 2 is not over the whole earth, okay? It's not over, it's a space. But what Adam and Eve are supposed to do? is fill the earth and subdue it. They were expand the garden. They were supposed to take what was going on there and they were supposed to bring it into other places. And I think even if there hadn't been sin, we've got to recognize that Adam and Eve had had work to do. They would have planted gardens. They would have built houses. They would have built roads. Eventually, they would have built planes, trains, and automobiles, and rocket ships, and all sorts of things. The stuff that we do in those things is not the result of sin. Work is not the result of sin. But God created the world sort of in in a... to a certain degree. And said, no, you do what I did. You do some more. And, and, and that's what we do. We fill the earth and we subdue it. And again, subduing is not controlling or dominating. It's nurturing. It's help to flourish. And, and that's what you and I are called to do, to just grow. And, and, and Tim Keller says, points out that we do this in all sorts of different ways. What does it look like? Let me just give you some examples that you might not be thinking of right now. Those of you who do hair and barbers, You bring order out of chaos. You fill and you subdue. I got a little chaos I need to go visit. Right? You take that which is kind of out of order. You put it in choice. Now with some of us, you need to do a little more filling. Hi, Eric. Uh, And some of us, you need to do a little more subduing. Um, but, But right, think about it. When you're combing somebody's hair, you're doing what God did at creation. You're getting stuff in its right place. A hairstylist. A hairstylist is doing very godly work. A domestic engineer, raising kids. I mean, You want to talk about bringing order out of chaos. You want to, try to talk about trying to develop potential. You want to talk about trying to put things in their place. You want to talk about doing that. That is like God, okay? People who are raising kids are doing godly work because they are nurturing and growing and helping to create and they're, they're filling and they're subduing and, and, and they're putting everything in its place. Teaching, very similar, right? When you go to teach... You're filling and subduing. You're filling minds. You're, you're 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 nurturing them. You're letting loose potential. You're putting things in their proper place. Creating art. You're taking notes, putting them together in a song. You're taking all this raw material. What God has given us is so much raw material, and he, and, and He calls us to develop it and to civilize it and to grow it and and to take words and to put them in order and then we have a poem, or an essay. To take colors or lines and to put them in order and then we have a picture, a drawing. Creating our building again, taking a bunch of sticks and nails, putting something together, brick and mortar, and putting a place like this together. That's Godlike when you build, when you plumb, when you all of those things, writing computer code. it's filling and subduing, it's putting things in their place. It's developing something new. It, 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 you're managing. You come into a department, and it's all messed up. It's not working the way it's supposed to do. What do you do? You create order out of chaos. You put this here. You put that there, and everything starts to work right. You are being like God in that selling. You find a need. You find an opportunity. You find somebody who needs that thing. You bring those resources together, and you can do that. Now, all these things can be done in ungodly ways, but you know what? When you sell, God called us to fill the earth and subdue it, and I think God's intention was to say, okay, I started. I created this little part. Now, you see what you do. And friends, you've seen the pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope, right? I mean, there's a lot of space yet for us to subdue. There's a lot of place for us to fill. And I promise you this. If we fill this one, God will give us another universe. Because he created us like God. We are creative. We are creators. We are subcreators. Growing health, uh, emotional or physical health, right? It's taking bodies that are disordered and putting them in their place. You are doing that and and you are reflecting what God created you to do. God is a creator. We are all sub-creators. And I want to suggest, and I know I'm almost done here, but we will do these things in heaven, okay? We sometimes get this idea that, that we will get to heaven and all we'll do is we'll just sing and worship and it'll be, you know, and, and I'm, we will worship and we will do those things. But God created us to create. God created us to fulfill and subdue and we'll still have plenty to fill and subdue for all of eternity. Heard somebody say something this week that, that kind of struck with me. He said, he said, you know, what we need to understand something. Farming is eternal. Preaching is not. We often think of the other way around, right? Oh, preaching, no, that's eternal. Farming is just temporary. No, it's not. When I get to heaven, I'm going to need a new job. I want to be a worship leader. (laughs) Always have been. But, then, right, I'm going to be out of a job. Most of you are not. Most of you get to do what you've been doing because we need farmers and sellers and road builders and engineers and computer code writers. We're going to need all those things in heaven. But we ain't going to need no preachers because you're going to be smarter than you are now. We're going to know Jesus more directly. So I'm going to be out of a job. Most of you are not. That's cool to think about, isn't it? You're created in God's image. God is the ultimate creator. And he created you to create. He created you to fill the earth and subdue it. And wherever you do that, celebrate that. You are created to do those things. Let's wrap it up. You are created in God's image. As you go from this place, know that you have great value. And that you have great purpose. You are invited by God. Now again, these things don't work out. That's why we got to get to Genesis 3 and say, how did it all go wrong? And then we got to get to Jesus and how it all went right. But know this. You are created. And you have great value. And great purpose. Let's pray together. Father, please help us to grasp what it means to be made in your image. Father, you don't make junk, and you invite us to create. A lot of us don't feel creative, but teach us how to fill and subdue and bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.